0: We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Awesome. Well, we are in week number two of our series, Estimates, a three-week series talking about faith and finances. And uh, so, so today we're heading into what to me is the biggest reason, the biggest thing that stops us from moving toward God when it comes to our faith. Uh, when our boys were little, my wife and I would always think it was a really great idea to take them to the beach, like in an afternoon, and spend the day. And it sounds like a great idea, right? We have four young boys, and so this will be fun. They'll get a lot, you know, we'll have a lot of fun together, lots of energy. And nobody tells you how much work it's going to be to take four little kids to the beach, if you've ever tried it. Just dragging all the stuff you need is, you know, enough. So I remember we would get to the beach. And I would just want to like stretch out, you know, on like a, a chair and just sort of relax and enjoy the sun and the sound of the waves and all that kind of stuff. But my boys, all four of them, as soon as we would get there, it's like they would just run straight out in the water. And they would go out past the little shallow area, past where that line of buoys is, out into the deep where they couldn't touch, the, you know, the ground. They couldn't touch underneath the water. And they just begin to like dunk each other into the water, essentially trying to kill, it, kill each other. And, you know, not paying attention to any sort of like boats or jet skis that were all around. And so my wife, Carrie, would say to me, you can't rest. You have to get out there in the water. You have to pay attention. You have to watch them at all times. You can't let them out of your sight, which is not really what I went to the beach for. And so what I did is I found an alternate path to controlling them. Here's what I did. I went out in the water and I said, boys, come here. I said, hey, have you guys ever heard of Megalodon? (laughs) Did you know they spotted Megalodon in this very lake? He actually ate a kid last week. (laughs) And then I would say, but don't worry. He, He doesn't come up into this shallow part right here that you're allowed to stay in. In fact, see that line of buoys right there? That's why they put that there, so you'd know where Megalodon was. And so, as long as you stay right here, you're safe. Nothing's going to get you. But if you venture out beyond that line of buoys, you will surely be eaten by a large prehistoric shark. Now, I know what you're thinking. Aren't you a pastor? You know, isn't that technically lying to your kids? And I understand why you might be thinking that, because the answer is yes, and it worked. It was beautiful. I could just go, I could just lay out. I could enjoy the sand and the sun. I didn't have to watch them every second because all they wanted to do was go out in the deep. But now they were afraid, you see. And now they're going to stay right here. And they did. They stayed right in this little shallow area. (laughs) The reason I tell you that is because that is exactly what the enemy is telling you and is telling me all the time. He, he whispers lies to us about our safety that will keep us in the shallow places of life when it comes to our faith. And we won't dare venture out. We won't dare you know, explore out because we're so afraid of what might happen to us if we do. Like my boys, they just wanted to be out there in the deep, but now they were afraid. And oftentimes, you know, last week we talked about the motives of the heart. David did a great job talking about you know, like a sense of greed. And for some of us, maybe greed is a thing we deal with. But I think for far more of us, the reason we don't trust God and step out into faith is because we're afraid. We've believed a lie about our safety. And so here's the question I want to ask us as we head into the text this morning. What is safety costing you? What is safety costing you? Because I guarantee safety is costing you something right now. When we overvalue safety in our lives, it costs us. For some of you watching online or here in this room, for some of you, it's costing you a sense of purpose and meaning in your life. You're safe, you're comfortable, but you've got this nagging sense of, what am I really put here on this earth to do? What's my purpose? Uh, For some of you, Safety is costing you a deeper walk with Jesus. It's costing you intimacy with God. There's this sense that why is God so far away? I'm trying to, you know, follow him, but why do I not feel like God is involved in my life? And I would say specifically in the area when it comes to our finances, for for many of us, safety and overvaluing safety and security is actually costing us a sense of joy, there is joy when we, when we trust God in faith and we, he, we see him use us in generosity to bless other people. It's, it's an incredible thing. And, and so that's oftentimes what, what's going on in our lives. Um, I grew up in the home of a credit union organizer. My dad managed credit unions and, and consulted for credit unions. And I would tell you both of my parents were really good with money. They, they managed money well. They were wise with their finances, and, and they, they modeled that for me. They modeled good things for me. But money was security in my home growing up. And in fact, when I was 18 years old and I felt like God was calling me to go into ministry, I remember sitting down with my dad. And I'm a first-generation pastor. Nobody else in my family is a pastor. And I, I remember saying to my dad, Dad, I think I'm supposed to, you know, when I graduate high school, I'm supposed to go into Bible college and become a pastor. And I just, the, the thing he just kept saying, I remember he just kept saying, Brian, how will you make money? That was his biggest question. And I'm like, I don't know, dad. I don't really know how that works. Or I don't think pastors make all that much money. And he was like, but how will you make money? What about money? That's just what he kept saying. And so there was this lie that I believed all the time growing up. And I'm not blaming my parents for that. I think it's a lie that we tend to believe if we grew up in this country. And it's a lie that I I still struggle with today. It still emerges in my life on a regular basis today. And the lie is the more money I have, the safer I will be. The more money I have, the safer I will be. If I just have enough, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be secure. Nothing bad is going to be able to touch my life. But when you go to the scriptures, it's almost as if the Bible knows that that's the challenge of the human heart because the Bible speaks of something different. So our anchor text for today is Proverbs 18, Verse 10, it says this, "'The name of the Lord is a strong fortress, "'the godly run to him and are safe.'" That's the essence of the gospel message right there. The name of the Lord, the name of Jesus, is a strong fortress, the godly run to him and are safe. He is the only source of true security and safety in this world. But look at what the next verse says. It says, "'The rich think of their wealth "'as a strong defense.'" They imagine it, their wealth, to be a high wall of safety. And so what this passage is talking about is that we tend to run toward our wealth for a sense of safety and for a sense of security. We, we run to our wealth as almost like a substitute for God sometimes in our, in our lives. And we think if the more we have, the more money I have, the safer I'm going to be. That's what we buy into. And it's something that if you grew up in America specifically, it's been something that's been sold to you and advertised to you. It's something that is just ingrained in us. Over the last 70 years, we, we see it in, in terms of like even just our homes and our houses. This is from the Census Bureau. Uh, in 1950, the average size of a brand new home in the U.S. was 983 square feet, which just sounds tiny to us today, Right? By, by 1970, the average size was 1,500 square feet. But if you fast forward to 2014, the average size of a new U.S. home being built was 2,675 square feet. And in fact, in 2020, even just in the last few years, that has actually grown even a little bit more. But this actually doesn't even tell the whole story because the Census Bureau also reported that in 1950, the average size of a family, the average number of people living in an American home was 3.37 people. But by the time you get to 2014, because of divorce rates and because of families you know, uh, splitting apart, uh, it was an average of 2.6 people living in each American house. So what that means is, per person, we take up three times more space than we did 70 years ago in this country. Now, now you would think when you hear that, right, that, man, with these supersized houses that we have now compared to, we probably have all kinds of extra room, all kinds of space for all of our stuff, for all of our possessions. But what we know is that right now, one of the fastest growing industries in America, and this has been true for the last several years, is the personal storage industry, In 2020, the personal storage industry grew to $39.5 billion in this country. In fact, in 2021, they expect that uh, industry to exceed $40 billion for the first time. Uh, One of the things I love the most about the story of the storehouse is um, when this space was empty, we had the opportunity to lease out this space to a large company that did indoor storage space. So people could have paid a lot of money to store all their possessions, all their stuff, their extra stuff in this side of our building. And it would have made us a ton of money. We would have had a ton of money if we would have said yes to that. And I just love that the part of what God's story has been for us as a church is that that side of the the building is not being used to store people's extra stuff. It's being used as like a conduit. So as things come in from from these places uh, all around and locally in our our community as well as internationally, that uh, it's been being sent out into our community to be a blessing to people in our community. To me, that's not just a picture of what God wants to do with frontline the building. That's a picture of what God wants to do at frontline within each one of our hearts. As his people, what God wants to do is he wants to turn our lives into conduits of blessing uh, that would go out into our community, that we would be the hands and feet of Christ and we would be a representation of the gospel to our community like that. But what holds us back most of the time is safety. It's not necessarily greed. It's not necessarily selfishness, maybe for some of us. But for most of us, what keeps us from living into that life is fear. I want to be safe. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The righteous run to him and are safe. But the rich think of their wealth as a strong tower and a safe defense. So I think, you know, the question we've got to be willing to ask then is, has this actually led to safety? Has running to our wealth and our finances, has it actually led to safety? I mean, think about this last year. It's, it's March now, right? Uh, uh, this time, one year ago, we had no idea how this pandemic was about to interrupt our lives, our world, our economy, uh, our finances, and... We we couldn't see that coming at all. No matter how much wealth you had, you couldn't have predicted it wasn't necessarily safe. And so maybe you're sitting in here saying, well, yeah, I I don't know. Money and wealth hasn't made me safer necessarily, but it sure has made my life easier, (laughs) right? Maybe I haven't believed the lie that it makes life safer, but it it certainly, it makes life easier. I mean, I wanted a bigger house during COVID so I could get away from my kids, Sometimes we want, well, we think it'll make our lives easier. There's another study. Again, this is from our world. These are from secular, um, you know, uh, uh, research. This is from in 2018 by MarketWatch. They did this huge nationwide study in America where they found that once we reach a certain household income, and and the amount was $105,000 per household. I don't know why that was the magic number, but that was it. Uh, what they found was that more income past that amount, here's the quote, tended to be associated with reduced life satisfaction and a lower level of well-being. So in other words, think of it, there's like a bell curve. And so at a certain point going up, more wealth actually helps you in life and it makes life easier. It makes life better. It makes you feel safer. But then at this certain point, $105,000 per household, more wealth actually, it's like a, a diminishing return. It actually doesn't make life easier. It has no impact on making it uh, better. It actually, there's a diminishing sense of satisfaction and ease to life. And this study showed that it wasn't just adults who are impacted. It said that children who come from affluent families above that 105,000 mark are more likely to suffer from depression, anxiety, and substance abuse than those who come from less affluent families. And here's the point: if you're, you know, if God's blessed you and you have an income more than 105,000, that this is not like you're doing something wrong or something bad. That's awesome. That's great. Praise God that He's blessed you like that. The only point I'm trying to make is that we always want more, and we believe this lie, and that what what even research outside of the Bible even shows us is that once you get your basic needs in life met, once you get to a certain level of income where you're, you're out of this sort of insecurity you know, of your daily needs, wealth actually doesn't help you live a better, happier, safer, easier life. It actually, at a certain point, begins to add more burden. And really, what our world is saying with these studies, is it's just saying what the Bible has been saying all along for centuries and centuries. It's our, our main idea of our teaching today, is that we tend to overestimate safety, and we underestimate faith. We tend to overestimate and overvalue safety and security, and we underestimate, as we were just talking about a moment ago, that God wants more for us than he wants from us. We underestimate what he can bring into our lives when we begin to move toward him in our faith. And what you're going to find is that when you begin to move toward God in faith, when it comes to your finances, what begins to happen is you begin to discover that life has more purpose and meaning than it did before. You begin to discover that you actually begin to walk in a deeper relationship with Jesus. As you begin to trust him more, there's more blessing in your life as a result of that. And you begin to discover as you move toward him in faith that he, this joy that actually begins to erupt in our lives and in our families when we begin to see how God wants to use us to be generous and to be a blessing to others around us. That's what begins to happen when we start to move toward God in our faith. And so, what I want to do is just kind of ask the question how do we do that? How do we begin to move toward God in faith when it comes to the area of our finances? How do we begin to move away from running to our wealth for safety? And how do we begin to lean in and begin to run after God in the area of our finances? What we're going to do right now is we're going to go to the Gospels. We're going to listen in to a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And what Jesus is going to do in this passage, he's going to teach a very powerful principle for how to move toward God in faith in our finances. And I want to pass that principle on to you. So this is Mark 12, verse 41. This is where we are. It says this Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were, where the offerings were put. And watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So so let me explain a little bit of what's happening here. Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem. And what he's doing is he's at the temple. The spot is called the temple treasury. It was in the court of the women. And it's right as people, it's in a spot where people are passing through, through the different temple courts. And so at the temple treasury, there were these 13, they were like trumpet shaped containers. And these 13 containers Uh, what would happen is people would go in and they would go out. They would take money and they would put money into these containers. And each one of these containers had a different inscription on it. One said wood. So for the offerings, for the sacrifices, they had to burn lots and lots of wood to consume the sacrifices. Somebody had to pay for that wood. That wood had to come from somewhere. Another container would have said salt. In the Old Testament, it talks about how every offering was to be salted. So some somewhere that money had to come from from that salt and another one would have said incense and then another one would have said something else there were all these different necessities so basically these containers were for the operation and the upkeep of the temple that's what they were for so it's kind of like our offering boxes here at the door or if, if you're watching online kind of like the the giving online button so here's what Jesus does he walks over right to where people are walking in and out and putting their money in the temple treasure and he just begins to watch Seems a little awkward, doesn't it? Can you imagine if I just, after the service, walked out there by the door and just kind of watched you as you walked by? This is what he's doing, seriously. He's watching, and he's watching what people are putting in the temple treasury. He's, he's observing this. Go ahead to the next part. It says, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins Worth only a few cents in our money today. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Jesus gathers his disciples together because he, he wants to teach them this principle, this very powerful principle from this passage. And it's, it's what I want us to zero in on today. It's how we move toward God in the area of our finances. The question is how in the world were rich people giving less than the poor people, than this widow? And the answer is it had nothing to do with the amount that was being given. It had everything to do with with the percentage. So what God is after, when it comes to his people's hearts, when he he comes to us as his people, what God is after is not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. What what he wants is not for every single one of us to, to give the same amount, but he wants all of us to be having an equal amount of sacrifice. Why? Because it's about faith. It's about how we move toward God in the area of our faith. And you only get there by sacrifice. Last week, we talked about how Jesus taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, God's after your heart. He's not after your money. But if you want to talk about our hearts and being completely surrendered to God in faith, we got to talk about your money. We got to. Because where your heart is or where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So, so what God is after is for each of us to move toward Him in faith. And the goal is not to raise up funds. This, uh, you know, really, God's not after our money. He, the goal is to raise up our faith. Now, here's what a lot of people think about faith. I, I we've. We've talked about uh, this before and different kind of ideas, uh, different kind of messages. And here's oftentimes what I'll get after we do a sermon like this is somebody will come up to me and here's what they think faith is. They think, okay, man, does that mean I'm supposed to just like sell all my possessions and move to Africa? To which I say, maybe, depending on whether I like them a lot or not. Maybe, I don't know, like maybe God does call some people to sell all their possessions and just do something really radical. But here's, here's the thing I, that the people, we tend to think, faith is not like going and taking some big, crazy risk. I mean, sometimes God calls us to do some big, crazy thing. But most of the time, faith, when we say faith, moving toward God and faith in our finances, I'm not talking about taking some big, huge, crazy risk. Faith is actually being obedient to what God has called you to do even when it's risky. Faith is not taking some big crazy risk. It's being obedient, being faithful, even when the heat gets turned up, even when it gets risky, even when it gets harder. To stand your ground, to be committed, and to follow through on on what God calls us to do, that's what faith is, even when it feels unsafe. So how do we do that? What does it mean to actually live this out? What it means is we have to get to a place in our lives where we begin to predecide our percentages. Again, what moves the heart of God is not the amount, it's the percentage. So what he calls us to do is to begin to live in a way that we begin to pre-decide our percentages. Last week we were talking about the heart. Today we're talking about our habits. The way you actually live out your faith and move toward God in, in your faith it has to do with your habits. And so what, it means, what this means is that we have to sit down and make a commitment, make a decision to, and pre-decide what we're going to live on and what we're going to give. What are the percentages that we're going to decide to live on and what we're going to do with, with giving? Now, here's why that's important. Here, here's how most Christians give. Most Christians, when they give, what they do is they say this, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to wait for God to speak to me about what I should give to. I'm going to wait until I feel it. If I'm feeling it right, like I'm going to wait until God moves me emotionally or t- I'm going to wait until there's like a specific need and then I'll give, then I'll, you know, uh, step forward and be generous. You say, well, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is you're still in control. You, you, you still got a white knuckle grip on your finances, you know, what we're talking about is, is giving out of a commitment where you say, I'm going to pre-decide our, our percentages. We're going to decide as a family what we're going to live on and what we're going to give. And, and, and what's driving us is this commitment we've made to God, not our feelings or our emotions in the moment. Because when you do the other thing, you just kind of, well, I'm just going to wait until I'm feeling it. Well, it's no big surprise. What happens is you get to the end of the week, the end of the month, the end of the year, whatever it is, and you find out you didn't have anything left over to give to God, right? And, and what we're talking about is we don't give God our leftovers. We predecide what we're going to discipline ourselves to live on what we're going to discipline ourselves to give. So we're not giving our leftovers, but we're giving what we have committed in our hearts to give Even when the heat gets turned up, even when things get tough, that's faith. And when we live into that, we begin to see God move in our lives. In those seasons when the heat gets turned up and we remain faithful, we begin to see him move in our lives in ways we can't even see any other way. We talk about this all the time. When we talk about faith, faith all the way through Scripture, faith is always a move of yes before how. If you're newer to frontline, you haven't heard us say that. We, we've talked about this so many different times over the years. Faith is always a move of saying yes to God before how. Because what happens is most of the time when God asks us to step out in faith, when God asks us to move toward him in faith, what most often happens is we say, well, I've got some questions, God. How are you going to provide? How are these people going to respond when I say that? How are we going to make it out of this situation? How, 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 how? And then we say, God, when you answer all my how questions, then I'll say yes. That's not faith. Faith is saying yes to God. I will be faithful, I will commit to this even when I don't know the how. So the way we say yes before how to God in the area of our finances is through pre-deciding what we're gonna live on and what we're gonna give. We make that commitment. We say yes before how, even right now, even when we don't know what's ahead, what's ahead in the next year, what's ahead with our economy, what's ahead with our jobs. You know, Some of us, over the last year, have gone through such rough times in our finances, depending on what your job is and where you're at. And other people have just, they've like made more money. It's crazy to watch. But whether you have been blessed with a lot or whether you've been blessed with a little, what God wants is for you to move toward him in faith. Here's what I would tell you. Every single time in my life, without exception, that God has asked me to make a faith move, Every single time that God has asked me to say yes before how to him and trust him and step out in faith, it has 100% of the time always involved a financial risk. I've never been called by God to step out in faith where it hasn't involved some sort of financial you know, sense of insecurity and and fear and, and my safety is threatened. Every single time. And I would tell you it's been those times... In our life, uh, those times in our marriage for Carrie and I, that we have seen God strengthen our faith and deepen us. But, it, but it's involved a financial sacrifice. It's involved a financial risk every one of the, those times. One, one of the times I can remember the most in our marriage, it was a defining moment in, in our marriage and in, for our family and for, uh, in, in our finances for sure, was when we moved here to Grand Rapids. So uh, we moved from, I, I was a high school youth pastor at a large church in Roanoke, Virginia, and we felt God calling us to move here to Grand Rapids. This is 2001 when this happened, and um, to be part of Frontline. So we've been here 20 years. And when we moved here, we said yes before how, and we moved, uh, we had just had our oldest son, Alan. He was a newborn, and we were moving across the country to be part of Frontline, which was a church plant. It was just getting started. It was nothing like you see today. It was just a very small group of people. And let me tell you what was supposed to happen, right? In in any of our estimation. What was supposed to happen is that when we moved in 2001 here to Grand Rapids, uh, we we owned our own home in Roanoke, Virginia. It was a beautiful home. We'd saved up some money and bought it when we were there. And our home was supposed to sell like that so that we could then buy a new house in Grand Rapids. Uh, Frontline was supposed to pay me more than my salary I had been making as a youth pastor, right? That's why you move across the country, right? So it was a, this an upward move. And our standard of living was supposed to get better. That's what was supposed to happen. We had a baby now, like we need to, you know, do better. Here's what did happen. We moved here right before 9-11 happened. And our house in Roanoke did not sell for almost a year. For like 10, 11 months, we paid a full mortgage payment and we paid rent at York Creek Apartments where we were living, waking up to the smell of pot every morning from our neighbor, starting the day off well. We, we couldn't pay our bills. Uh, Frontline paid me less than I was making as a youth pastor in Roanoke from where the church was at that time. And when I got here, they told me they could only pay me for three months if something didn't dramatically change with the church. Our standard of living went down, not up. It's the poorest we've ever been. Literally, what we ate regularly was macaroni and cheese out of a box and tuna straight out of the can. That was my lunch. In fact, to this day, I, I still love like tuna straight out of the can. I can eat it because of that time in life. I just got used to, you know, you buy like that 35 cent of, you know, cent can of tuna and just would eat, we would just eat tuna straight out of the can. That was our lunch. We, we didn't have enough money every month. It was, it added so much stress to our marriage, so much stress to our conversations because we didn't have enough to, to make, uh, pay our bills every single month. And it was so stressful. But what, something that happened, when Carrie and I first got married, we had made this commitment to God. We had pre-decided uh, that we were gonna tithe. And, and tithing, uh, we'll talk about this more later, tithing is this biblical principle of returning to God the first 10% of your income. So whenever you get a paycheck, whenever God blesses or whatever it is, you return back to him, you give. You, you return back to him the first 10% of your income. You always have the first 10%, right? And so we'd made this commitment, and we'd been living that way. But when we got into that year, several months in in two thousand one, there was this defining moment, this conversation Carrie and I had with each other. And I'll admit, it was me. I said to Carrie, "Listen, I just don't think we can afford to tithe right now. Not forever. I'm not saying we, you know, we back off completely forever. But I just, I don't think we can afford to tithe right now during this season. And." I'll know, my wife, who regularly has way more faith than me, her response was it marked our marriage. It marked that moment. It was a defining moment in our marriage. Her response was she said, Brian, I don't think we can afford not to tithe right now. Remember we were standing in the kitchen at your, in our apartment and she was just like, we need God in this with us. Now is not the time to walk away. Now, the time, now is the time to press in. We need him with us in this. And I will tell you this, we not only tithed through that entire time, but we paid every single bill we had. I have no idea how. I could tell you story after story during that season of our lives where like money just showed up. Uh, Stuff got, like bills got recalculated. We get some calls say, oh, we overcharged you. I mean, crazy stuff happened. And we paid every single bill. We, We were not late on a single bill that we owed during that time. And we did not have enough money coming in. But to me, even more important than the fact that we paid every bill during that time was I would tell you that during that season of our marriage and our lives, our faith and our trust and our dependence in God as a, as a family and as a married couple grew to places like it really never has any other time in our lives. When we pre-decide and we decide we're gonna be faithful even when the heat gets turned up, those are the moments where we see God move in our lives because we're pressing forward to Him in faith. And so what happens is once you've been through a time like that, once you've been through seasons like that, and you've pressed into God and you've found out that he can be trusted, that he's there, that, he, that his word is true, and when we find out that, that, that he actually is the strong tower that we can run to, he is the, really the only form of security and safety in this world, what happens is the next time you go through a, a tough season, the next time something happens, like, say, like, I don't know, it's like you get diagnosed with cancer. What you realize is you, you know where to go. We've been here before. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. But the rich think of their wealth as a tower of defense and safety. What are you running toward? One of my favorite descriptions of the gospel in all of the Bible is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul describes the gospel in financial terms. And this is what he says in in verse nine, he says that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor on our behalf so that through his poverty, we might become rich. But through his poverty, we might have the riches of heaven. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is is a much better father than me. He He didn't tell us some lie about Megalodon to keep us in the shallows. Jesus went out into the deep water and he dealt head on with the only real enemy that any of us ever really has, the enemy of death. And he dealt with it definitively on the cross and through his resurrection. And he says, you can trust me. Come on out here, but you gotta have faith. You can't run toward your wealth and your stuff. Come out here into the deep end. There's a whole life. There's purpose. There's meaning. There's a life you can't even imagine of joy, but you've got to come toward me in faith. What do you need to pre-decide? What do you need to commit to in terms of your percentages, in terms of your life so that you can move toward him in faith? So Lord Jesus, to that end, that's what we want to look to you for. God, we just confess that The processing or the messaging all through our lives is, it's our wealth, that's where we run. But this morning, God, we just declare that you, the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus, it is you that is the true strong tower. It's the true strong fortress. It's the only real security or safety that we have in this world. And so right now we turn to you. God, for each of us, would you show us what it means to move toward you in faith? in the area of our finances, would you build layers of trust and dependence on you as we pre-decide our percentages, as we commit and as we stay faithful, even when the heat gets turned up? And would you show us through that, that in each season of life, the next time the heat gets turned up and whatever area it is that gets turned up, that we can trust you, that you are faithful, and that you are with us. That's the kind of journey, that's the kind of relationship you long for with us and that we get to have when we trust you. That's what we want, God, and so we ask for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said.